This is Brian Carney, your host of the Developing Founders Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with an entrepreneur that is creating a product specifically for the health-conscious and environmentally-conscious individual in Africa. The company's name is Veggie Victory, and I was honored to have the founder, Akeem Jimo, on with me. So without further ado, let's dive into the podcast. Akeem Jimo is a vegan entrepreneur and founder of Veggie Victory, Nigeria's pioneer plant-based food company. Veggie Victory started in 2013 as a restaurant before introducing Veg Chunks, the first commercially produced meat substitute in Nigeria, available now in many stores nationwide. Veg Chunks targets those prone to non-communicable diseases, as well as those looking for more affordable food options and protein sources. Akeem is 49 years old with a Nigerian-German background. He holds a master's degree from the University of Hamburg and worked as a journalist and a public relations consultant for almost 20 years in West Africa before pivoting into being an entrepreneur. Akeem is married with three children. Welcome to the show today. Hi, Brian. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. No problem. I am excited to dive a little bit in kind of two things. The transition into being an entrepreneur, I think, will be will be interesting. But I also am just fascinated in how you got the idea of starting a vegan restaurant and then how you transitioned into a product as well. So I, I'd like to start there with that first kind of inspiration for, for Veggie Victory. Yeah, I think uh, it's safe to say that I'm definitely mission driven, you know. So I was, yeah, I was, I've been, I have a veg background nearly 26 years altogether. And that's why, because the first 19 years was vegetarian. And then I realized, oh, there's even, yeah, there's vegan also, mm-hmm. you know. And then was that was another eight years, seven, eight years. <laughs> so it was really out of personal needs. I lived in, I've been living in, in Lagos. And uh, there was no vegan restaurant, not even a vegetarian restaurant. And I just got sick of it, you know, because uh, I still I was still craving like a, a nice <laughs> vegan burger or a vegan hot dog. Mm-hmm. And everywhere else in the world, exciting vegan recipes came up. And then in Lagos, zero. You know, I said, I mean, how bad can it be? You know, I mean, at least in a, in a city. And I always say that, you know, Nigeria is a huge place. Over 200 million people, you know, <laughs> doubling. Lagos has 20 million people. That's double the size than New York, right. you know, and then not one vegan restaurant. I said, come on, you know, let's let's do that. Wow. Yeah, well, and then the real um, kickoff came after a little trip in, in Asia. So that's eight years ago. And I had an app, Happy Cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used mm-hmm. the app as a kind of site tour sightseeing tool you know so everywhere every country i came mm-hmm. in cambodia <laughs> or or thailand or vietnam hong kong later everywhere the app showed me vegan friendly or vegan restaurant and then back mm-hmm. in lagos the same app said zero results you know i said come on and i told my partner let's do let's do a vegan restaurant worst case i'm the only customer <laughs> and uh, still that saves me half of the money you know that i'm spending <laughs> trying to eat in indian restaurants or lebanese restaurants they have at least an idea right. of uh, plant based meals um yeah and i was always sure there are there must be other people you know um and that's how it started 8 years ago almost in may now wow that would be an interesting transition going from a journalist and then a media consultant to owning a restaurant. That's a, that's a huge career pivot. What did the first few months and then years look like? Were they, were they difficult to transition or was it a pretty easy transition for you? Yeah, well, technically uh, it, for a while I was running the two things, you know? So, so when we started the vegan restaurant in, in 2013, my partner did it full time. And I still had the, the PR company and it was mm-hmm. slowly transitioning fully into, into, the, into the restaurant. But actually that took a, a few years, you know, because I was, our plan mm-hmm. was to have not to run a crazy loss with the restaurant, but it's also clear that to make a restaurant profitable, that's 
that's uh, that takes a lot, you know. And we are not selling alcohol. Not that I'm really against it, but we the tax. You know, people once you sell alcohol, you you fall into a different tax bracket. And then we said, you know, we are we are uh, trying to be healthy. And then it's but that's how restaurants make money, really. You know, unless you are a, a, a restaurant chain, but that is a completely logistic different ball game. So it was clear that the restaurant itself will not provide for a livelihood. But then pretty much a year into the vegan restaurant, it became clear that this is something that is coming. You know, we don't know when is it really taking off. But I always say global trends also reach Nigeria at some point. You know, it's always you guys in the U.S., you set the trends and then it takes a few years, it gets to Europe and then eventually it gets to Africa, you know. And nowadays, of course, quicker and uh, Nigerians are looking directly at uh, what's going on in the U.S., but that was always the, the trend. And I saw that with healthy living, you know. It was clear that in the U.S., healthy living, and now particularly plant-based, has become a lifestyle. And people in other parts of the world, in Nigeria, they noticed that. And so it was clear for me that this is going to come, but is it in five years? Is it in 10? Is it in two? You know, when can I live off that? When can we break even? But it was clear that we, we immediately we got a response, you know, uh, like we predicted from day one, you know, people came in and not the typical vegans because there are not many or vegetarians, but really like people who just want to reduce meat for health reasons. That's really what works here. There were offices around and uh, yeah, they have the yeah. same lifestyle issues, you know, sitting in offices the whole day, no exercise. So they came and, and we also got, by the time we got requests from other cities in Nigeria, I knew that this is now we need to think about how can we scale, you know, and there were two options. That was about two years into the vegan restaurant. Yeah. Shall we open more restaurants or can we look at a product? And the decision was pretty quickly that a product is needed because there, aren't, there, were, there were no vegan products, no meat substitute products. Mm -hmm. And restaurant, running restaurants, brick and mortar is really difficult. Nigeria is not an easy place and in terms of infrastructure. And yeah, mm -hmm. and it was clear that that will be just headache, you know, having a restaurant chain. So we decided to go for a product. And, and then it became clear that this is really something we can make a living of. But it took another, what, how many, another five, six years before we had all the licenses well the registration you know we have something like the fda here yeah of course the formula the supply chain the packaging everything is extra difficult in in, in nigeria so and then uh, then you haven't even started the distribution there's no walmart you can go to mm -hmm. you know we have one of there are some retailers uh, and they are apparently the largest one, and they just have 20 shops in the whole country, you know? So it's not like you're going to Target uh, and uh, bomb next week, you're in whatever, 24,000 stores. So distribution is a huge thing. So it was five, six years into the restaurant. Uh, so we're now talking 2018. And actually in December 2018, so it's not really eight years ago, it's, it's two and a half maybe now, you know, that... We decided that, uh, okay, now all chips in, you know, and that was still a big jump at that point. You know, we decided we are now doing the, the vegan business completely. So no more side shows, no more PR and everything into the, into the startup, which was then technically five years already old, but we'll still call it a startup. Yeah. And well, one of the reasons why we did it at that point was we now realized if we want to scale, we need to, we need partners, investors, and what investors do not want to hear is that you're doing something else, you know, and you can't tell them, oh, I'm still doing 30% of PR job or something, you know, um, so that was, well, it was still a big jump. And I guess every entrepreneur can, can relate that the, there was a, well, we might call it the death valley that the next six months 12 months you don't have revenue and not yet generating revenue or not enough and you don't have investors yet so that was yeah like almost a year you know um 
but the, the main switch was in December 2018. So going to two and a half years now. Okay. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. So you said that the infrastructure is difficult for building out a chain of restaurants, which I imagine would also mean that the infrastructure is pretty difficult for creating a product. So you said a little bit about five to six years for licensing, for, for getting all of the correct packaging and all of that. Is there a, a particular aspect of the infrastructure that was the most difficult? And if so, is there, there a story you remember about that that could be interesting to the audience? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess Africa is different, right. you know. Of course, Africa is a continent, not a not a country. So I have fifty something countries. So mm-hmm. huge differences. Northern Africa is different with Egypt, Morocco, countries that are, almost, yeah, the Mediterranean. Quite, I mean, the mm-hmm. Morocco is very close to Spain, so you have kind of the same living standards. But if you get to Sub-Saharan Africa, it's a different ballgame, you know. And Nigeria is notorious, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, it's it's really like, I mean, it has a reputation for something because it's so competitive, mm-hmm. so many people, bright people, but resources. Everybody is struggling about it, and we don't have constant electricity you know something that's very hard for uh, people in developed countries to to uh, understand is if if you live in a privileged area in lagos which we do you probably see on an average of 12 hours um, uninterrupted power supply recently it's a bit better so eight hours but there's a power cut every day you know so this is always mentioned as in the uh, manufacturing um, community as the number one Thing that holds Nigerian manufacturing back, you know, that no reliable power supply, because then you have to switch to generators, which make an incredible noise, but even worse, they, they are so inefficient, you know, that you can't compare the prices of uh, the national grid when you're now running your own um, generators. So that's then the roads of well, the quality of employees, it's an issue. I mean, it's really, it's a developing country, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what's really hard for uh, these countries. And then they, they thought they have money because they have oil, you know, so they thought, mm-hmm. okay, why manufacturing? You know, let's, let, uh, let's import, you know? <laughs> so, and then you have yeah. cheap places like Asia and everything was imported, even toothpicks, you know, and that only goes as long as uh, the oil prices are high. And uh, yeah. at some point, I mean, it's not sustainable. You know, Our population is doubling. Like I mentioned, we're going in the next 20 years to 400 million, you know, then, and you're not really producing anything. I mean, I, it's basically the same story everywhere, even in the US, you know, you realize, oh, hey, mm-hmm. maybe we need to manufacture a little bit at home. Because otherwise, you know, if you do, if you lay off people all the time, you the, the purchase power reduced. So we have the same, of course, on a different uh, level. Mm-hmm. But that's really uh, the hard thing. And uh, it's um, and Nigeria right now is at a cross point. You know, we know that we don't have that much money anymore. Uh, we can't afford to import because our currency is so weak now. Lost forty percent uh, in the last one year. But you're mm-hmm. paying every import with dollars. You know, so. These are the infrastructure issues you have, you know, and then a couple of more, you know, but electricity, that's really what uh, other people can't understand uh, outside uh, the continent. Of course, I'm not a fan of always saying how difficult it is because the opportunities are there. You know? Also, because we have such a crazy reputation that keeps uh, competitors from abroad away, you know, <laughs> no, no American company wants to go to, to Nigeria, you know, because they know it's, going to be crazy you know and, yeah. and just i mean since it's a, a business um, podcast i mean um of course you guys know kellogg's huge company you know i think even from about where you are you know and they wanted to enter the mm-hmm. nigerian market because you cannot ignore such a huge market and they they thought how, what, how can yeah. we do it distribution is difficult they bought into a nigerian company run by indians so they get the distribution network. It's like a, they make ramen noodles and they're very successful. And they, they bought in for half a billion dollars, you know, because 
they know that if we are trying to do it ourselves, it will take us 10 years and we still not get anywhere. So I think it was a smart move, but just to explain how challenging this market can be. And then imagine if you are not uh, Kellogg's, but you are an entrepreneur, you know, you have all the same problems. Yeah. yeah, but I think opportunities. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you're right. The problem with manufacturing is pretty much pretty much uh, everywhere because you're right in the US we <laughs> we saw that a lot during the covid lockdown there were so many things that we just realized well well shoot we don't produce any of that <laughs> and one that's kind of interesting to me and I've been looking into a lot is we produce almost no microchips none of our own microchips for all of our technology that we're producing we we're bringing in microchips from elsewhere so that's uh that's an interesting area because that's pretty vital with with the modern with modern technology. You have to have those. So yeah, that is interesting. That is a problem everywhere. So I guess one question I have is particularly with the electricity problem. Have you found that because of the nature of the product you're creating that might be something you can move past a little bit more. So does it spoil as quickly as say meat or eggs or dairy? Is it something that you can ride out 12 hours of not having electricity a little bit easier? What, what does it look like? Yeah. So before we started, I thought a lot about how would a company look like and what can we do you know we don't have huge monies mm -hmm. to just set up something you know and how does the product need to look like and uh, just uh, explain a little bit things that are not very obvious to to people abroad like like there's like i mentioned no electricity that also means the cold chain is very limited here you know it's not like you're going into a huge supermarket mm -hmm. and then you have aisles and aisles of freezers <laughs> I mean, uh, if you rely on freezers, you are probably only in 1% uh, of the supermarkets because the others, they can't, right. they don't have it. They can't afford it. The electricity goes off, then everything spoils in the freezers. And so we thought, can we do something that we don't, we don't rely mm -hmm. on this cold chain and it's everywhere in Sub-Saharan Africa, There's practically no cold chain. And then we thought it would be great if we can have an, an, a product that is shelf stable with an ambient temperature. So our product is dehydrated. So that helps with the, well, um, shelf stable. It's also easier in terms of safety, you know, because we're dealing with food, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So those, those were the considerations and there are so many. So the, 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 then the production itself, uh, I also learned one thing and I really used the 20 years I was in, I've been in, in, in West Africa to really think about what, what can work and what do we need to avoid? You know, it's like, Brick and mortar, avoid it. Difficult machines, avoid it. You know, everything simple, you know, because uh, any any machine with, with chips in it, you mentioned chips, problem, you know, needs to. And because if, if the U.S. is not even producing chips, what about Nigeria? And you need to fly technicians in. Huge expenses. So everything simple. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, um, it's almost like sometimes I feel like in the medieval ages, you know, but it works, huh. you know, and, and actually I, I like it because that also gives employ employment opportunities. I mean, yeah, not really that we have chip engineers, so it's, it's still often very manual yeah. jobs, you know, but still, I mean, we have to pick up from somewhere, you know, you have a lot of unskilled um labor force and even the so-called um, graduates, they, they are not on the same level. So it was always keep it simple. The machines, so I like the machines anyway from China and then they are cheaper and uh, than, than German machines. I'm German. I know, I mean, everything in Germany is about machines, you know, but they're so sophisticated and so expensive. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I, right now it's, I go for machines from India, you know, because you can, you can yeah. repair them with a hammer and a, and a screwdriver and, and that's it, you know, and it works. So I kind of looked at, how how would a, a company yeah. function in this in this environment? You know, in terms of production, in terms of the product right. itself, what kind of people? If you need to have expats, you know, to run your company, you have huge mm -hmm. expenses. You know, so all that came a bit together. Yeah, that's dehydrated is that's 
a perfect solution. That's fascinating. And I would imagine that also lowers your transportation costs delivering to, to the supermarkets across the country. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And the crazy thing now is like, it even works for other places. Uh-huh. Now we're talking to, we get some feedback from the UK and, and now it's, it's, it's sometimes very ironic what you could never imagine. Like some uh, restaurants in, in places like London, they are mm-hmm. saying, oh, it dehydrated. That, that is an interesting idea because that saves us freezer space. I mean, they could. I yeah. always thought they can buy freezers from, you know, as many as they want. But real estate prices are so expensive that they don't even have the space to put more freezers. So a lot of right. products are freezer, um, um, in the freezer. So we might have a chance to, go, to get into that one, you know. Um, so you never know. I love this idea of uh, entrepreneurship. You never know what's next. You know, everywhere is opportunity yeah. and things that uh, you could not imagine are coming up. Yeah. So, and we're still learning. We're still not there. You know, every in Nigeria, every every day is can be full of surprises. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Wow. That's brings up a few questions. But the one I, I want to start with is you said that that getting resources can be kind of difficult. And in a startup, especially a a startup that's producing something, money can be kind of how the the company lives or dies. So what, how did you go about in the early days, kind of making, making the cash flow work? And then where's the funding situation now? Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That raises a lot of association with me. Like I say, uh, if this company would have been in the U.S., I would have raised already 10 times the amount, you know? So that is, again, that has something to do with where is the cash flow globally, you know? Start, even, even Europe is not in terms of venture capital where, the Amer- where, where America is. I'm even speaking to some, we have some investors from America, like Ryan Bethencourt from CEO of Wild Earth. They make this vegan dog food. And he's, he's from the West Coast. And he said, well, the people from the East Coast, they're so slow, you know, they don't get it. I mean, <laughs> so this cultural difference is, is not even between uh, uh, America and Europe, or it's even within America, you know. And, and if you look at where, where are all these venture capitalists uh, putting their money into it, yeah, of course, there's a reason why there's Silicon Valley. And then there, uh, there's nothing behind that and then maybe the rest of america you you mentioned there are other parts in america that completely cut off you know and and now you're in africa which is completely cut off you know and we are in a niche of a niche you know because if there's foreign foreign direct investment into africa or nigeria in particular it's it's oil and gas you know so we're talking houston oil big big guys you know or you know now a little bit of fintech when when you're now talking about uh, startups there was this huge acquisition of Paystack, a Nigerian fintech company acquired by Stripe. You know, they paid $200 million. So it's there, but food is completely niche of a niche, you know. And yeah, it's everything is timing. I was just reading an article, somebody saying the, the ingredients for, for success of a startup. And he said, basically, it's timing, you know. Brought up some examples like Uber. Everything has to come together. The technology, and and I would say probably we are at that point. The plant-based lifestyle, it's timing, you know. And probably the the pandemic mm-hmm. has really sh- shown um, everybody that health, and also in the Western world, you know. Even if you have uh, health insurances, you know, and Germany has even more health insurance than Americans, but that's not a guarantee. You know, it's the, the only guarantee you have is your personal health and you can do a lot about it by you choose what you eat. You know, it's not that, oh, I don't have enough money for this health insurance. You know, it's really you, you know, you can exercise, you can go plant-based and that makes a huge difference. And also in Africa, there's absolutely no health insurance. I mean, for only few people and still, People are making the same mistakes. They start eating the Western diet. And if they get a little bit more money, they stay, they believe, oh, now I can catch up with meat. You know, meat is a status symbol. And suddenly, boom, here you have all the problems, you know, modern lifestyle diseases, you know, non-communicable diseases. 
and you have no doctors, you know, blood pressure and no doctor, it's a problem, you know. So it's the timing. And eight years ago, we knew it would come, but we don't know when. And now it's now the time has come, you know, and also the investment. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. The Beyond Meat, that was such a, what's the right word? Such a, uh, a signal, you know, beacon or whatever you say, you know, a kickoff that showed investors worldwide that there is money in plant-based and kind of food tech. That was not 10 years ago, you know? 10 years ago, come up with right. a vegan, hey, I have a vegan startup. They, they would ask, you know, what, did you, did you miss a couple of decades? You know, Woodstock is over, you know? That was it. I'm telling you, no kidding. In Germany, uh, now Germans are saying in Berlin, you know, all the hipsters, you know, ah, yeah, vegan capital and stuff. 30 years ago, there was no vegetarian. And even I would argue, even today, it's not yet mainstream. It's not just because you live in New York or I'm glad you're, you're, uh, you're not a, in a big city. It's, uh, I'm sure where you go, you don't have vegan eateries everywhere. You know? It's not yet mainstream, not at all. I lived a bit and spent some time in, in Portland and also Austin, all these cool areas, you know, but that's not the rest of the country and the same in Europe. But the timing is right now and in terms of financing and I get to that. So now it's much easier to raise money. I mean, we didn't even bother to raise money in the beginning. That's, it was clear it's going to be from, from our funds. That's why I was still running the PR thing. And then I slowly realized uh, like this two and a half years ago, okay, there is and you start the classical way, you know, friends and family a little bit. And also that was strategically a move. We don't need so much money in Africa. You know, if, you, if you're a startup in Silicon Valley, I mean, I just hear about the rents there, you know. <laughs> I mean, you need literally, you need to raise millions because you need to pay the rent, you know. Here, when I tell investors about our, our burn rate, you know, <laughs> they think I, I missed a zero or something, you know, because yeah, labor costs are low. Lagos is also becoming expensive, but you can still live uh, cheaper, you know. So it's like you really have to do a lot of thinking. And now, yeah, now it's like it seems much easier. Will it be in, in one year like that? I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe the hype moves on. You know, solar energy was, was a hype a few years ago. If you want to raise money in solar, mm -hmm. it's a problem now, you know. Maybe next year... Nobody's talking about plant-based again. I don't think so. I think it's here to stay. You know, health is, is something we have to fix. You know, we have to fix our environment. We have to fix our health. It goes together. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely more attention. There's money flowing uh, into, into uh, plant-based because they, everybody's seeing now that livestock, animal farming, and I know you're coming from an area where it is proven. It has the carbon footprint is crazy. It's not sustainable. So we need options, you know, and that's what we are trying to do. We give people options, you know. We even tell people, you know, just reduce your meat, you know. We're not here. We're not missionaries. We're just reduce your meat. But that's the marketing. But money is flowing into that, even from big venture capitalists. They know that we are, it has to be more sustainable. So it trickles down. We raise some money now. There's, there's really like a vegan funding seen now i almost every month you hear uh, oh this one is now uh, all investing in plant-based and or cl uh, clean meat whatever so there are lots of opportunities and what we did is our first it was it's just a year ago almost to the day it was in march that we got our first impact fund from germany so relationships always matter a lot you know but that was a general african startup they wanted to support african startups and then after that, we got some angel investment from Ryan uh, Bethencourt and Anand Yoshi. He's in, in UK, and those are vegan investors. And that created some hype. Oh, there's a vegan startup in Africa, and you, this, our story is unique. There's nobody else like that. And, and then Ryan started his own fund, and he invested further. And then we, we participated in a pitch competition, Revolution. It's in, in Europe. And we became second out of 350 companies, vegan startups worldwide. And yeah, that was, and that, and there were some investors. So we now had the pre, what we call the pre-seed round. 
and we just closed everything now or that round in in January so just two months ago and uh, yeah and now finally we have some some money to to really do the marketing sales distribution product development everything we we were hoping to to do you know and it's true I mean money is not everything but it really accelerates a lot of steps you know we have a market sales team now so we can really move faster yeah yeah it's it's step it's a step stepping stones and particularly in africa it's really difficult there's also the funding gap what they call the funding gap it's not that you know there are some big funds or impact funds that want to do something africa but they only start at five hundred thousand dollars or if you're lucky 250 but that's quite a lot, you know, because you still need to justify it. Why, can, why can your company accommodate two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is not a small amount, you know? And lots of, lots of startups, they actually need, they need as little as five thousand dollars or three thousand, and they can go for six months, you know, and then mm-hmm. uh, thirty up to fifty, and there's no, is or that's what they call the funding gap, you know. There's uh, a lack of um, funding in that because we don't have a, a, a function that maybe that area in the Western world or in the developed world, banks can close. You can go to a bank as long as you have your social security number, you get a loan, 20,000, no problem, or even more, and you do something. That is not possible in Nigeria. We have interest rates from the bank, 15%, and that was just reduced, you know? As I'm selling uh, drugs or something, what kind of margins do I need to have to to? So that's something. So infrastructure, mm-hmm. it's crazy. How can you pay 20% interest rates? You know, so yeah, a lot of things. You know, but maybe I should stop there. You know, so you need to make that step somehow. And then and now suddenly we can accommodate 250, 500. Then it goes pretty quickly. You know, but there's this death valley that you need to come out. You know, and I guess many. But everywhere, I guess many companies die in there, many startups. Yeah, that is, that's fascinating. I didn't know that kind of that angel investing area was, was even more difficult than the, the more traditional VC. That's, that's very interesting. I guess that, that helps a lot on the funding side. One question I was wondering is what is veg chunks made out of? Is it a, a bean? Is it a lentil? Like, how did you go about that? Yeah, it's a it's a mix of uh, soy and wheat, uh, seitan product. Yeah, so that's the main thing. Plant based. We're not doing anything with the cultured meat or uh, in lab right. or stuff. Everything is plant based, and it's it's the texture. You know, we we wanted to have a product that works with the African recipes or Nigerian recipes, but it really works also in other parts of Africa. We tried it in in Kenya, that's mm-hmm. East Africa, or even Southern Africa. They say they love it. It works. We do a lot of stews, you know, so that's like a common food. There's a stew and then you have some staple food like manioc or cassava and mashed, something like that. Mm-hmm. We also like to do some grilling things like barbecue and it really works. And that's also one thing that the meat substitutes, and they're not even available here, but those that are from the Western world, and not often they're not working. Like we're not a burger country, you know, burgers is, we don't even have a burger mm-hmm. chain. You know, we have a Kentucky fried chicken here and, and Domino's pizza, but for some reason, no burger, mm-hmm. there's no Burger King, there's no McDonald's mm-hmm. and there's a reason for it. We're not, we're not burger people. So we need a, a kind of different meat substitutes. And I think that's also where the vegan mm-hmm. startup scene or, or company industry is going to that every cultural reason, uh, region has its own local champions. You know, in, in Asia, they eat different uh, kind of different meat mm-hmm. than elsewhere. And it's, it's normal. It's food. It's culture. You know? So, yeah. And uh, uh, so we use this ingredients because it was, uh, we don't have, we didn't have a huge, uh, R&D funds, you know, not like impossible burger, 70 million to put into, to figure out a burger or something. What we want to do in future is to, to source more locally raw materials. And of course, uh, Africa is blessed in that aspect. Uh, We have everything, you know, Mm. moringa and cashews and so much, you know, and I think that's the beauty of the vegan industry. You can literally 
make a meat substitute out of so many things, you know, and we have a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's, uh, that's helpful. Okay, I guess I want to go just a little bit into your background before we dive into our last five questions that we ask all the guests. So yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself growing up. Did you, would you have expected to be running a, a vegan startup in your 40s? Yeah, I guess not. So I was born in Germany, <laughs> close to Hamburg in, mm-hmm. in the north. My mother is German, my father is Nigerian. And then I really grew up in Germany. You know, everything was in Germany mm-hmm. up to university level and my journalism um, training. And then I moved to, to West Africa when I was 27. And I worked as a journalist for eight years and then the PR company. Mm-hmm. The vegan thing came um, still back in Germany. You know, I was in my um, early 20s and I still lived on a farm, you know, like you, you know, yeah. on a farm. <laughs> I'm a I'm a countryside boy, you know. So yeah, yeah, it, it, I liked it, you know. Um, and uh, there were some scandals about food, you know. So they uh, and I thought it's not healthy, you know. They sprayed the chicken with nicotine, huh. and you know, when you're a teenager, you're trying to oh, trying to not to smoke, you uh-huh. know. And now now you're eating nicotine, you know. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> So something was telling me that <laughs> right. something is wrong here. and uh, But I had no idea of the concept of vegetarian or vegan. So that came late. Those were the beginnings, you know. And then it was at university in Hamburg that they introduced a vegetarian mm-hmm. meal. And and then I, uh, I got the concept. And then it developed. I had no idea about veganism. Nobody was talking about veganism. You know, It was vegetarian. That was the ultimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to be... Uh, I was very interested in journalism. You yeah. know, I knew always I want to do something with my two cultures, you know, and journalism was cool because I, I was basically reporting from West Africa to Germany. Mm-hmm. So that bridge position, you know, PR similar. I worked with a lot of German companies in Nigeria. And then the, <laughs> yeah, then the opportunity of, I always wanted then to, to have more stakes, you know, not just reporting stories back to Europe. Then I switched to PR, which is more on the ground and, and the veggie victory is now fully there. You know, it's also an idea of how, can, what can we do differently on this continent? This game of catching up with, with America, it will not work or with, with Germany, you know, we need to go different. And I'm also, I'm not convinced if the Western world is heading into the right direction, you know, I'm talking about um, sustainability, you know, climate and stuff, you know. So, and we need to find our own ways here in Africa. And I wanted to be in the, in the midst of that and come up with solutions. And I see the challenges, you know, people struggling. And so I wanted to always manufacture something that, that also helps people directly, you know, with, with their health. And uh, yeah, so everything came together. I would say I didn't know, of course not back then, but there are some traces and if you i don't know i mean i'm still uh, 49 maybe if you look back you see oh everything is kind of building on each other you know mm-hmm. what i learned in germany work ethics you know i can i can it's tough to grow up in germany but i can really recommend it you know the work ethics <laughs> you really figure something out here you know it's great and uh, it helps me here you know the the communication, the corporate communication helps me with, you need to sell a company, you know, in the startup world, it's, it's the idea is important, but it's also selling the company, you know, you need to sell your company. That's what all the pitch competitions are about, but it doesn't stop there. Investors relationships, you know, you need to really, and you cannot possibly do everything yourself. You cannot be the, the uh, chief technical officer because that means you are more like, like uh, introvert you know but as a if you're selling the company you have to be almost like an extrovert you know so looking back it uh, everything kind of worked together oh i hope my internet is oh, are you there again yep i am can you hear me yeah i had to switch we had a power cut talking about power outages <laughs> and then of course the, the internet goes off so i'm switching to uh, yeah that's it you know i have I have, honestly, I have three internet connections here. 
Oh wow! I mean, who has that? <laughs> you know? And what expenses is that? You know, I mean, right. I mean, I'm paying internet times three. You know, but then also yeah. always the good side. Wow. You know, you don't have competition because wow. nobody is crazy enough to come here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That makes sense. Perfect. Well, yeah, I think that was that was answering the question really well. Right before before we got cut off, I had one kind of follow up question that I was interested in, and that is. You know, German food is is pretty heavy. Typically, it's heavy food. There's a lot of of meat based. <laughs> there's a lot of, of some veggies as well, but it's very heavily animal based. So, how did that that first transition look with your your parents? Were they did they think it was a little weird going into vegetarian and then vegan? Yeah, well, yeah. So again, you know, I grew up on the countryside in Germany. That's and the cliche is works. You know, I mean, we what they did on the farm. You know, my my village in Germany, we had 164 people. You know, and we always said more cows than people. So what they did is the neighbors come together and and they 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 have a pig. So they're not growing the pigs anymore. I mean, they have to, they have to have that stage, <laughs> right. you know. But because uh, many of the farmers are only doing crops, you know, right. in the in the real old days, like a generation before, they had their animals, and it's kind of nice because the connection to the animals is there. I mean, I don't support the slaughtering, but it's not animal farming, you mm-hmm. know. So what happened is they they buy a, a, a pig together, two families oh, wow. or three families, and then the butcher comes to the to the farm. And everything is done there. But you have so much meat. I mean, we had like three huge uh-huh. freezers and there was meat all the time, you know, and all the different, <laughs> and, and something was like, this is too much, you know, I mean, this is too much. And then I, I just went oh, yeah. for the potatoes. Of course, trust Germans, they have to be potatoes, you know. I only went for potatoes and and, and huh. the gravy and some vegetables, you know. But later, my grandmother, I was a grandparents, I was mm-hmm. very close to them. They were a bit wondering why am I uh, yeah, not eating the meat. I was already in university then, so I uh-huh. only visited. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, it took a year that when I also told them I'm really not eating them. But then they are fine. They were they are actually, my mother's side comes more from a small town. So it was not the, they only, my mother only married into, mm-hmm. into a, the farm side then, you know. So okay. we're not, we're not really farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are a bit open-minded in, in the town. So it was fine, you know, and health. I mean, you know, that's the thing. And also it reminds me mm-hmm. so much of uh, Africa today. They, they like their meat, but there is an uneasy feeling about it, you know? Something that, and everybody is struggling mm-hmm. with, with the health, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. one thing or the other, and they connect the dots, you know? So if you say it, you know, and in Nigeria, of course, it's also very religious, you know, and and you are in the Bible Belt, maybe you can relate to that, or but it's like Hallelujah diet, you know, there are references in the Bible pointing yeah. towards a plant-based diet, you know, uh, Daniel fast, you know, <laughs> nobody really asked you questions, but in Germany also they got it, yeah. uh, it was and. Yeah, and now even yeah, they it's everywhere, and you also ask yourself, am I eating? They're also reducing meat, you know, definitely not as hardcore as I am because I'm a vegan now. I mean, completely, you know. But and it works perfectly for me, you know. But we are very pragmatic, you know. As a company, actually, the target uh, customer is what you call a flexitarian or reducetarian people—people mm-hmm. people that are eating meat. And it's exactly the same like Beyond Meat is doing. They're not going for vegans, you know. Vegans can be crazy, you know. They are rather they eat a beetroot steak. They don't want to eat a meat substitute. <laughs> but I mean, I like, I still love my 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 vegan burger, you know. Different kinds of vegans, anyway. But the real customer segment is people that want to reduce meat. You know, they still want to eat their meat, but not three times a day, you know. And and those numbers that makes the difference, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And. What you were saying earlier about the the West not going in the right direction when it comes to the environment, I can see that firsthand. Because as you said, I uh, live in a smaller community. We're a lot bigger than your village in Germany was. We're about 2,500 people, so still pretty small. <laughs> That's <though>. huge. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we are 
pretty much uh, an exclusively agricultural area. And then our other big in, our other big industry is insurance, which started out of agriculture. And you can definitely see it when you look out at the fields. There's one space that was interesting to me because you're walking and part of it is a park. And then right next to it is the, the farm or the one of the fields. And the topsoil is probably maybe two feet lower. And you're like, huh. Well, you know, it probably didn't used to be that way. <laughs> probably 50 years ago, those were on the same level. So, yeah, I agree with you uh, a lot there. That's a yeah a personal passion of mine is looking into kind of regenerative agriculture and all of that. So that's cool. Yeah, and it's interesting because this what you're it's, it's amazing what you're just um, telling, you know, and it feels like this generation our times is everywhere they are feeling it you know you are you are in you are in um, illinois or and you speak to somebody in china similar in africa you know it's starting mm -hmm. uh, and uh, europe anyway you know it's like and you cannot it's not just we all going crazy and we going we see whatever uh, ghosts or something it's it's happening you know the sea the oceans you know mm -hmm. And uh, I think this is this is the big task of our of our generation of our lifetime. And in Africa, just to to connect it back, we are not eating much meat. You know, that's one thing very different. You know, we have some numbers. You know, like from Southern Africa, they they eat an average Southern Africa. It would be same in Nigeria, five kilograms of chicken per year. In the U.S., they eat 120 kilograms, you know, so it's like times 20, you know. So in Africa, it's not really about, well, about reducing meat. It's about avoiding it, preventing meat, because the moment they make a little bit more money, they now want to uh, catch up with Western lifestyle. So what we are trying to do is like leapfrogging, that term leapfrogging, like We didn't have landlines. We went straight for mobile phones, you know. Or we didn't. We don't have. We didn't have PCs. We went straight to, yeah, mobile phones or laptops, you know. And the same probably for food, uh, for meat. That we we don't want to go into into meat before it starts, but go into plant-based meat, you know, which is also an opportunity mm -hmm. because we're not used to T-bone steaks, you know, because that's difficult to replicate or ribs, you know. In Africa, you just want to see a piece of meat on whatever you eat, you know. But this this uh, degeneration of environment, it's going to happen because if you if you produce animal meat to that extent, you need you suddenly need yeah, you need the ranches because grazing, open grazing, what is happening here, you know, uh, and they know it, you can't do, can't do open grazing what you did a thousand years ago, because now there are people everywhere, you know, so yeah. That's interesting. I think that this is a good place to transition into the, the last questions that we ask every guest. Really enjoyed this, but I want to be cognizant of your time, make sure we're not taking up too much of your time. But the, the first question is, what is your favorite business book? Yeah, I was. I just got to hear about it, or was reading about it just a few months ago. Now my English is uh, is, is bad. Uh, uh, Finite and Infinite Games from. I sent you the email, but I, I guess you want to hear it from ours from James P. Carson. Is it James P. Carson? Let me just. Yeah. So here, Finite. Do you say Finite or Finite? Finite, huh? Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Carson. Not particularly a business book, you know. I was struggling a bit with the question because, you know, I don't, it's maybe funny, but I don't really believe in this business model that we, we, we have in the Western world, you know, this liberal thing, because I, I, I just see too many problems and too many losers, you know, even within our own, uh, even as a German, you know, uh, not as an African, as a German, so many people are feeling left behind and losing out, you know, and, and so I, I wouldn't go for the normal books, you know, and uh, what I liked about this is more like almost like a life coaching thing, but it's it really work. Everything is a, a, a deal. Every deal is a, a game, you know, and the idea is to keep on um, playing and not just, uh, oh, I'm making a, a deal and that's it, you know, I'm making. My, uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a bit uh, philosophical. But it taught me a lot about the relationships are more important than than just looking for one deal and that's it, you know, because it goes on, you know. So I really and I really apply that in uh, the way I'm looking at uh, 
businesses, business relationships, you know, I think that was what it is. Because if you build a company, it's really relationships you're building, you know, you're not just taking money from an investor and that's the last thing, you know, but they actually want to be carried along. You know, we have another investor, Chris Wilton, and he's in New York. He's investing in uh, sustainable companies, also vegan, but not only stuff. Uh, and he said he would like to come in and uh, give us some marketing things. And it was great, you know, and there, there's somebody in New York and uh, I brought in my sales supervisor who never left uh, Lagos, you know, and they can connect, you know, and that this, this kind of relationships is yeah, and it goes on, you know, with the customers, you know, we're not selling a crappy product, you know, that uh, you're hoping that nobody will call your customer line, you know, we're trying to build something. So find it an infinite game. I can really recommend it. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to have to have to read that. That reminds me of, I think it was a Warren Buffett quote, but it seems like everything's attributed to him or Einstein. I think it was something along the lines of it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, but a moment to lose it. That's so true. It's kind of what that's going to. Hmm. Great. Well, that, that brings us to the, the second question, which is what's one hobby that many people might not think that you have? Yeah, I don't know if it's a bit lame. You know, I, 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 I say chess, you know, I guess, I mean, technically it's many people don't know that, you know, not that I'm a great chess player. I've never, I, I don't even... I haven't even tested my ELO or whatever it's called, yeah. you know, but I really like it. I wasn't introduced into Go, you know, maybe that would have been cooler. I hear a lot about stuff, you uh -huh. know, it's even more complicated. But yeah, right. I like the the way you you plan ahead, you know, and the dynamics and the changing positions, you know. So chess cool, you know. Many people that do, do not know it, you know. <laughs> so at, at least it answers <laughs> the, the question technically, you know. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. We can go to the the third question, which I'll, I'll tweak a little bit. So it's typically, who do you look up to in business? You can also answer who you look up to in like sustainability or or any of those areas as well. Oh yeah, I didn't know about the uh, sustainability. I saw your questions before, so I was <laughs> I was. That's the other thing I was struggling because yeah, business model. You know, uh, I mean. Uh, what I generally, I, and I have, an, I have an answer, but what I generally, I, uh -huh. I like the, the human creativity and the, the willpower, you know, and uh, all this, all this industrialists, you mm. know, that build things in the, it's amazing biographies, you know, you, and I, that's what I realized, you know, it's, it's, you don't build something overnight, you know, and what you just quoted uh, Warren Buffett, you know, it's, you yeah. it's a lifetime you know and it's an institution and you put there's a philosophy in in that right. company you know so i have the greatest respect from uh, all of them you know uh, even though even even if uh, products i don't really support anymore you know like i don't know rockefeller but it's amazing uh, biographies they they build, you know, but I coming from Africa. So I had to make a point, you know, because uh, it always falls a bit. So I, I wrote Mansa Musa, you know, the king of Timbuktu. Timbuktu is in West Africa, yeah. Mali. And if you Google it, you know, just yeah. Google, like give it to everybody, the wealthiest people in history. And he comes number one, you know, who, who knew, you know, so an African comes in number one. Okay. And he probably, they are, uh, you know, the way they are calculating uh -huh. wealth uh -huh. back then and now, and he comes to about $400 billion, you know, maybe Elon Musk will make that, you know, <laughs> or, or Jeff Bezos, but technically uh, he's still ahead. You know, I think he made his money with, with gold, trading gold between uh, West Africa and, and then, yeah, Northern Africa. And I'm sure there was a lot of slavery, so don't... Uh, mm -hmm. if, People are saying, oh, this is not PC, you know, I, but <laughs> everybody that builds something, I, it, I always have that admiration, you know, because yeah. it's, whatever it is, whether it's a business and NGO, you know, it's really inspiring, inspiring other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mansa Musa. Yeah. Google I'm it. Have to. I'll have to see if there's a, a biography out there I can find. That would be, that'd be interesting. <laughs> Perfect. We can go. Huh? Yeah, I haven't, let me know. I also haven't uh, uh, got that, but uh, you find a few articles, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's just, uh, well, it's history. Yeah, you know? absolutely. That was my degree in college, so I'm always interested in history. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, that goes to the 
the fourth question, yeah, cool. which is what's your first memory of money? Yeah, so I grew up a lot with my German grandparents and they had a store. Uh-huh. My my grandfather repaired watches, you know, like the old automatic watches, you know, not mm-hmm. not a battery driven, but mm-hmm. and and it was also a jewelry shop. Yeah, so he was uh, in that sense an entrepreneur, you know, self-employed. And uh, that gave me a first idea, you know. Yeah, of how to make money, not that that I was uh, helping in the shop a little bit you know but it 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 told it told me a lot about different what do you say life models you know employed or leading others you know they had like five employees or something you know so oh wow you you notice yeah you notice things you know yeah oh yeah i bet that i can definitely see how that would help shape how you look at business and and all of that because i think there might not be individuals who are more known for their precision than than the german german companies so someone who's working on watches in germany probably very precise would be my guess (laughs) yeah that's where they made i mean but then also now scaling the business i mean i wasn't thinking about that but later when when in my teenage years i i realized that other similar businesses they were now uh, going nationwide you know and and uh, my grandfather was doing like the old the old school way you know one shop one boss you know but then now the now making the switch to why are other why are other shops coming up you know why do they have cheaper prices you know and uh, I think it's a cultural right. change, also. You know, before uh, every every small town had its had its uh, grocery, and now everybody is driving to Walmart. You know, what happened right. to the grocery store? I mean, you probably won't know yeah. it anymore, but yeah, that, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was different <laughs> then. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, it's part of I guess human evolution. Yeah. You know, but it. That that made me think also, you know, because yeah, I mean, he was old anyway. But towards his end uh, of his career, it was clear that the the company will not last anymore. So that was also an impression, you know. Why does this shop go under, and why are others growing, you know? Or I mean, you guys, I mean, and again, you know, I really love that where you're coming from. Uh, when I grew up on, in, in the German farms, German farmers cannot compete with with the great plains you know it, it's a different era you know and they cannot compete in they are heavily subsidized right. but the, the the fact is they cannot compete with with the huge farms when you have this this machines that are uh, driving in uh, 10 of them you know in uh, and then we don't in in right. our in our village right. we didn't even have one of those you know when it's time to 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 go for the weed they have to call it from the next yeah. town you know and then it comes for half a morning and you guys have 10 in a row yeah. you know hmm. <laughs> i mean sustainability is another thing but yeah <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah that's that's for sure i think we've sacrificed sustainability for yield and we've gotten the yield but we've definitely lost the sustainability so yeah that's that's interesting Perfect. So we can go to the the fifth of the final five questions, which is, what is your favorite quote and why? Yeah, well, so this is, yeah. So it's the secret of life is to have no fear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's by a Nigerian musician called Fela Kuti, and he's actually running for the Hall of Fame rock. You know, so that's, I think together, you know, it's a kind of competing thing with oh, wow. Tina Turner and, so he's a very influential musician, is dead now. Uh, he founded okay. Afrobeat, you know, that was in the uh, yeah. 60s, 70s, 80s. He was big and then he died in the 90s. Huh. And uh, iconic person in Nigeria, very social revolutionist, you know, always yeah. going against. We had a lot of military dictatorships. And uh, yeah, and this one uh, uh, sticks because I always fear, I always feel like fear is sneaking in, you know. You don't want to do it, you know. You always want to be. It's basically to get out of your comfort zone, you know. Not fear, as in you know, scared of. But but it's it's so easy to remain in your comfort zone, and and why you want to be there is because it's not that it's uncomfortable, but it's unknown, you know. And the fear of the unknown, and 
And in my life, every time I, I get out of that, I overcome this fear, it's worth it, you know? It's, it's like, it's worth it, you know? And you're wondering, why am I always falling yeah. back into this? Oh, no, should I really do it, you know? But do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I can agree with that. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. I've enjoyed it a lot, digging a little bit into your background and, and your business. But yeah, where, where can the audience learn a bit more about you or follow along with your journey and with Veggie Victory? Yeah, well, so we have our social media handles, Veggie Victory, you know, you can Google Perfect. it, you'll find it, Veggie Victory NG for Nigeria. I should do I should do more social media on my personal <laughs> side, you know. Yeah, I have that, you know. Yeah, I can't even pronounce it. Or, or oh my God, you know. And then Akim, you find it. Akim Jimo, there are not so many, you know. Yeah. So basically, Google Veggie Victory Akim Jimo. Um, you get you get okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. And we'll we'll put some of those in the show notes as well. Well, Akeem, thanks for, for your time today. It's been great. You enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah, Brian, thank you. I hope it was not too boring, you know, <laughs> and great meeting you. Great meeting you as well. As always, thank you for joining in our conversation. If you have any recommendations on guests for the show or any comments on this episode, or if you would like to be on the show yourself, email me at podcast at studentsofbusiness.com. To get our show notes and to be alerted on the release of new episodes, hit that subscribe or follow button in your favorite podcast player or go to developingfounders.com and subscribe to our email list. Thanks for joining and I'll see you next week.